0: You're listening to Healthcare Now Radio. Stand by for this just in, the latest in healthcare innovation and technology trends with your HIT advisor, Justin Barnes.
1: Thank you for tuning in and welcome to This Just In. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. And these have our segments. I'll bring you the latest advancements in healthcare, strategy, innovation in public policy. As always, we're broadcasting from the This Just In studios on the Business Radio X network, as well as the Healthcare Now radio network. And before we dive into my special guest today, I want to take a moment to let everyone know that we'll be broadcasting the This Just In radio show again live from the HIMSS annual conference next March. In Las Vegas. Many more details to come, but I hope everyone is planning on attending. Hotels are getting busy, flights are getting booked. So please, uh, if you attend HIMSS, the annual conference, take time to book your travel. Um, and we'll have another great slate of CEO, CIO, leading care providers, industry thought leaders, and certainly policymakers joining the show. But for this episode, my 109th episode, we have a special guest and good friend, Dr. Sylvan Waller. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Thank you very much, Justin. I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Yeah, you were one of my guests back in 2015. I actually thought it was 2014 when we first launched the show, but um, it was September 15, and uh, obviously a great guest. A lot of insight around telehealth at the time and, and the evolutions of where virtual care was going. And you had a very cool uh, company, Elite um, Healthcare. So. Um, I look forward to, uh, you know, even you know having a deeper conversation now, but also, you know, you and I have certainly stayed in touch and are collaborating on a couple of projects. And, and just, uh, you know, the last couple of days said, you know what, let's do a radio show again to talk about all that work we're, we're touching in the industry. And, and we'll dive into that in a moment. But uh, but thank you very much, my friend. So
0: not a problem. And I appreciate it.
1: So where um, where were you, for my audience, where were you born, um, raised, college, all that good stuff? So you can take a little bit of a, of a step back just to, to bring everybody up to speed.
0: Absolutely. Um, I grew up in Hawaii. Um, I was uh, born in Seattle, Washington, but spent most of my childhood in Hawaii uh, and then left for college when I was 18. Uh, I always tell the story that, you know, Hawaii was a great place mm-hmm. to raise kids. Um, very isolated from the rest of the US. And so my uh, my family was originally from the East Coast. So I had an opportunity to uh, go back to college in the Northeast, went to Brown for undergrad. Uh, and as you can imagine, that was quite a culture shock coming from, you know, shorts and t-shirts in Hawaii to uh, uh, Ivy League and, and uh, you know, the cold of the Northeast, um, but loved the area, uh, loved the experience that I had there. Uh, and really, as I went through my college career, started thinking about professional options and, and had always really been interested in uh, science and biology. I you know, wanted to be a marine biologist when I was younger. Uh, and as I got up to college, you know, started to think a little more practically about uh, how that translated. And uh, so so really spent you know, my four years focused on the, the sciences, biology, chemistry, physics in particular.
1: Yeah, I didn't realize marine biology, my, the irony here is my sister graduated in Brown and is a marine biologist in DC. <laughs> so. And they have a, they have a great
0: program. And that was definitely one of the things that helped, you know, attract me to Brown was, you know, their focus on marine biology. So loved it while I was there. But what I found was, you know, when I started thinking about doing that as a career, I didn't just want to do research. I wanted to do something that was more applied, more practical. Uh, and really it was, you know, my mentors in college who started to steer me towards medicine and no doctors in our family. Um, but I really looked at, you know, how do I take the basic science and what I've learned in biology and apply that to be able to, you know, make a difference in people's lives. And that's re- really got me interested and excited about medicine. Um, when I graduated from college, I wanted to test out um, and learn more about healthcare. And so I joined Accenture on the West Coast, mm. um, focusing on their healthcare and financial services practice. And then at the same time, I volunteered in the ER at San Francisco General Hospital and was part of the trauma team and doing CPR on patients that came in. So um, it was a it was definitely a formative part of my life, incredibly exciting um, and professionally, you know, really got to see the inside of healthcare uh, from both a payer perspective, the provider perspective. Uh, and then obviously, you know, working with physicians and residents, you know, in the hospital environment as well.
1: Yeah and we came and we've had a we've uh, several touch points just because we uh, live in the same community in Atlanta um but then also um you recruited me into the ATDC as an entrepreneur in residence after uh, uh I'd sold Greenway and then um it was a great opportunity to become an EIR there at Georgia Tech at their ATDC incubator and I was filling your very big shoes uh, but so thank you for that opportunity because that was a great year <clears throat> down there and then um, a couple of us had started this health innovation think tank uh, in partnership with Hims and Lenovo and Inventive and and uh, UPMC and others. And uh, very uh, quickly, the for one of the first names that came up uh, for to, to be a catalyst. We really didn't have speakers. We have about 50 people. You know, this setup but just for my audience. We bring the, we have these these health innovation think tanks, and we basically pull 50 global thought leaders together really every three to four months, and uh, the very first first person identified, uh, even by Lenovo, was you. I think you were just rolling off chief medical officer for MD Live, was it? And
0: Yep, that's correct.
1: Yeah. And you yeah, were just so, rolling from there. Yeah.
0: No, I, I appreciated the invitation to join the ThinkTech, and I think it's been a great experience. You know, my, my career has really spanned sort of the clinical side of medicine as a practicing emergency medicine physician, but then really focusing on innovation and in digital health as well um and you know my career really focused on scaling uh you know physician practices creating these large national physician practices and then really understanding how does innovation impact them how does digital health have an opportunity to reshape those practices reshape the you know the physician environment reshape most importantly how patients uh get care and so that that really has been you know a big part of my focus professionally and And having done that for a number of years and then having the opportunity at the Advanced Technology Development Center to be an entrepreneur in residence there and a mentor. uh, Great experience, certainly appreciated the opportunity to um, meet you in that environment. And and, as I was rolling off, um, invite you into that community as well. And then you're absolutely right. I I had the opportunity to uh, found and run a, a telehealth company um, you know, ultimately did that for a number of years and then uh, worked with MD Live, which is one of the oldest and largest telehealth and virtual care companies in the U.S. and, uh, and did that for a while and, and then have been consulting now with a number of the fastest growing, most innovative, you know, virtual care companies in the U.S. And so the, the experience has been tremendous. I think we had an opportunity to really talk about some of those um, you know, lessons learned and where virtual care is going at the think tank recently, and and you know, we 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 thought this would be a great experience to be able to share that with your listeners today.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly that's exactly it. I think when we actually, this is one of the most exciting aspects to where healthcare is evolving, not just here in America, but but certainly globally. And I think you know, when you and I, we have a lot of projects kind of in play. You know, I do panels together and think tanks together and, and a lot of different things. Um, just collaboration points. But I think over the last couple of days when you and I were sitting there uh, over a dinner and just said, you know what, we should really bring this. There is this think tank. We are coming up with so many great best practices, so many great strategies, what's working, what's not working. Um, and with your breadth and depth of knowledge and expertise, I'm like, you know what, we pulled the show together, <laughs> I think in less than uh, 36 hours. So uh, yeah, for that, I also thank you. People usually prep and and uh, we plan these out a couple of weeks. Or more, but um, but this was just so important, so much great key content. So, um, but let's let's dive into some of it because it is, it's very exciting. It's on the tip of where healthcare is evolving um, and where so much opportunity is. So, let's uh, you know just starting off. You know, I, how did you get your start in digital health? I mean, obviously, your your passion came up through you being a doctor, seeing what's how healthcare is evolving. Um, Ali. Uh, MD Live, but um, but what really drove you into digital health initially?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I always tell the story. I started with Accenture, you know, which was a strategy and, and uh, technology uh, consulting firm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after I was in management consulting for about five years, I went back to medical school. And so really having that combination of the business right. background, as well as being a clinician, meant that, Uh, You know, at the companies that I worked for, um, primarily physician-led, when we were really looking at how technology was going to impact us, you know, I was the guy who had, you know, a little bit more technology experience than anyone else, and and most importantly, an interest in it. And so it really, you know, developed out of my uh, my work with physician practices to try and integrate new technologies, to see the challenges that we had in implementing, you know, new electronic health records and uh, trying to understand, you know, what to do with our data. Um, but it was really, you know, it was really the, the background that I had in, in uh, healthcare technology consulting that led to my continued interest, and then really spearheading a lot of the programs and initiatives we were doing in these large physician
1: practices. Uh, that works perfectly. So, what um, what's created this focus on virtual care? I mean, why in healthcare? Again, it's it's we, as we mentioned, it's outside just our borders, but um, why this focus on virtual care today?
0: Yeah, good good question. I mean, I think, you know, as as I've said before, you know, virtual care will sort of be the 30-year, the you know, quote-unquote overnight success. Yeah, exactly. People have been working on it for, for a long time, but the macro trends are now at a tipping point where we, we are seeing much more adoption and utilization. And those macro trends really come from... Um, you know, increasing demands on our healthcare system. Uh, we've got an aging population, mo- more and more chronic disease burden. Um, we have a increasing physician shortage. So by 2025, the projected shortage is now up to 125,000 physicians. Wow. We have the democratization of technologies. So, you know, according to Pew Research, uh, 80% of consumers now have a smartphone That allows them to access an app or go to a website or do not only phone but video conferencing as well. And so, you know, as our services have become more and more mobile, right? We bank uh, on our mobile device and we book, you know, travel on our mobile device, dinner reservations on a mobile device. Uh, You know, certainly people are dating, you know, based on their mobile devices. All of these things have created that consumer demand and that democratization of technology where people are looking for these same services and the same way to access healthcare. And so that's been a big focus of, uh, you know, the digital health and innovation spaces is how do they capitalize on those trends, provide patients and consumers, people who need these services at the end of the day, um, you know, with, with an experience uh, that is, you know, matching their expectations. And as you know, you know healthcare has always been, uh, you know, challenged in terms of really being consumer focused. And so uh, when the average weight according to Merritt Hawkins, these days is 29 days to see a family practitioner in the U.S. You know, people are looking for alternative access points. They're looking for, um, you know, better
1: ways to be able to tap into their uh, healthcare experience overall. Yeah, no, I I agree. And and that's spot on. I mean, even the health plan that I just recently, um, uh, I guess, uh, purchased um, offers free telehealth and just free visits uh, unlimited. And it's just it's made a big difference just in accessing information, getting expertise, prescription refills and and so forth so yeah i mean i I've seen it just on a simple scale like that, but um and I look forward to using it a lot more moving forward um so tell me about the evolutions because obviously I think we're still in like one dot o but I think we're or, or we're probably moving into maybe two dot o in and how virtual care is evolving uh, certainly here in America. so what are your thoughts there?
0: Yeah. Um, you, you know, I, I think part of what we discussed at the Think Tank right recently was, um, you know, that that virtual care is really a solution. It's not just the technology platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you think about sort of virtual care 1.0, um, companies were were mostly focused on creating a technology platform. You know, many of many of these companies were built by you know incredibly smart and capable and accomplished technologists who didn't necessarily have healthcare experience. And so they looked at it and said. We've got a tremendous problem around access. We know how to solve that problem through tre- technology. We can we can give people, you know, effectively a website, an app on their phone, and then we can connect them with a doctor network on the back end. But but really, the 1.0 network, you know, 1.0 version of uh, virtual care found that that didn't drive adoption. Mm-hmm. They couldn't just put it in the marketplace. And and I've had these discussions with some of the you know thought leaders at Google as well that you know, they wanted to create a uh, a healthcare technology put it out into the marketplace and then have rapid consumer adoption and healthcare just doesn't work that way it requires education you know people are dealing with life or death decisions and so creating you know a technology platform on its own doesn't really solve the problem doesn't drive adoption doesn't you know create that value proposition that that all of us are looking for and that and that's really led to you know sort of the next version the next evolution of a lot of these you know virtual care companies that understand it really has to be a solution it has to encompass not only great technology but it has to have the workflow to be able to go with it it has to be able to you know create real value for patients real value for the physicians and the care providers who are in the network and then real
1: value for you know the enterprises that are involved either in the delivery or purchasing these services yeah, I think that's one of the pieces that we saw very quickly, at least part of our second think tank, is it's got to be integrated into the care model, and it's the overall care model that matters. And I know we'll get to some of those takeaways um, here in a little bit, but, um, but I couldn't agree more. And just, and for my guests, uh, for my listeners who have just joined us a little late, uh, my guest today is Dr. Sylvan Waller, and we're talking virtual care and virtual care strategy. So what are some of the barriers to adoption? Because obviously, they're still great, and and, we, and it hasn't taken off, and we've covered a little bit so far, but what are your thoughts there?
0: So one of the, the biggest barriers, is, as we touched on just a moment ago, is really, you know, these technology platforms were put in the market without sort of a comprehensive solution. And, and you really have to understand, you know, what's the problem uh, you're trying to solve? So if you are a physician practice and you are trying to, um, you know, create additional access in your practice, you know, improve the level of service, you you want a, a virtual care solution that's integrated into what you're doing. And you're absolutely right. The 1.0 version, you know, was really a standalone model that wasn't integrated into the overall fabric of healthcare. And the 2.0 version is trying to be much more integrated into that fabric of healthcare. So as we talk about, you know, the dreaded interoperability word, as we talk about, you know, making sure that your primary care physician knows uh, when you've been seen in a virtual environment, it has access to that information, and as importantly, you know the the virtual care providers who are seeing you, the physicians there, can actually you know access your prior medical record. Um, but all of that's really been a barrier in that you know telehealth has been sort of a, a point solution and hasn't been integrated. And now we're seeing much more integration, uh, and that comes with greater trust and greater credibility. And I think you know one of the companies that I work with, Epic MD their their solution is really to partner with individual physician practices to be able to offer, you know, a better solution that's that's supported by the physician that's integrated into your practice already. And um, and so it's not, you know, it's not losing a patient to a different service. It's really being able to, you know, integrate virtual care into an existing practice and offer, you know, the ease of access to these patients. And they've, you know, they've seen you know tremendous uh, patient adoption in this uh, new modality of care.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. The other side is um, obviously we do have some regulatory hurdles. You, we discussed that a lot during the think tank. Uh, you specifically brought up, you know, what states are doing and how that's getting better, and some state comp, and some state packs, and and so forth. And obviously, and then that obvi- that that usually precedes um, reimbursement because you know we still have very limited reimbursement for virtual care visits. But what are some of your quick thoughts there? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. You know, both the regulatory and reimbursement sides still
0: remain traditional, uh, significant barriers to adoption. Um, reimbursement, you know, CMS is looking at this, you know, m- more and more closely every day. We're seeing that they're slowly inching forward. And um, you know, I-, I tell the story that sort of five years ago, I thought that CMS would reimburse for general, you know, acute care telehealth within the next year or two. Well, we're five years later. I still think we're a year or two away. Um, but you know, it's anybody's guess at this point, sort of when that um, when that wholesale change will happen. And so now companies have really looked at how do they create you know more targeted niches? What are the alternative business models? How do they get paid for their services? And we see a whole host of services there, from patient pays to you know employer pays to um, you know the health system is actually trying to offer this to their patients and they they bear the the cost of this. So it really goes back to sort of the you know the problem that you're trying to solve. Yeah. And then you're absolutely right. No, go ahead on the regulatory side the you know individual state mandates around medical licensure around the ability to provide virtual care um, you know still provide a lot of fragmentation in our health system uh, and a lot of barriers and and we're seeing that slowly broken down with the interstate compact that's coming or or uh, you know has recently been expanded we're also seeing that you know obviously with the um the lawsuits against the Texas State Medical Board around you know, telehealth and virtual care, um, you know, siding with uh, consumers at the end of the day, so that they can access the care without being you know, subject to a lot of you know um, monopolistic uh, practices. Yep.
1: So, yeah, and I completely agree. The other side of this, and I think at, the reason why reimburse it is very important, obviously, to have reimbursement structure around this. But the other side is if we adopt more value-based care models, then you may not need to be specifically reimbursed for a visit because you can see the actual cost savings and, you know, readmission preventions and all those kind of components. I mean, there's so many attributes to to a virtual care and a telehealth strategy to keep a healthier, you know, keep the patients healthier, give them the care they need when they need it. You know, don't let uh, illnesses and and chronic conditions drag on without treatments, you know, just regular check-ins. All those may not be reimbursed per se, and through a traditional reimbursement fee schedule. However, if you're actually in a value based care model and you're paid for the, you know, based on the outcome, it could very well be worth it and there's intrinsic value. What would you say to that?
0: Absolutely. And that's where we're seeing more and more traction. And again, you know, one of the clients that I work with um, call nine, which provides, you know, acute care services within a skilled nursing facility, you know, their model is really built around value based care. So, they, they, like every other healthcare provider today, have one foot in the fee-for-service world and one foot in value-based care because they have to. But the true value of a service like that to be able to provide care you know, at the patient's bedside almost immediately and a higher level of care to an underserved community really is around value-based care. They, they help you know, prevent those patients from having to unnecessarily go to the hospital and where they can treat them for you know, a number of different clinical conditions in place. Um, and the value of those types of services is tremendous. And we're seeing, you know, as I talked about sort of the 3.0 version of virtual care and telehealth, we're really seeing those models emerge as being um, you know, the successful models that, that understand the challenges around the regulatory and reimbursement model, but are really forward thinking and are focused on value-based care, understanding you know, the overall cost savings, improvement in quality and access that they provide. And I think those companies that really focus on that are going to be the winners as we go forward.
1: Yep, I, I agree completely. So in our um, closing few minutes, I do want to cover the uh, some of the great uh, takeaways that we had. And we haven't published all of this publicly, but I do. I'm going I'm to break some of our rules in the think tank and, and, and I'll let some of these uh, out um, because we will certainly over the next couple of weeks. But um, and, and we've covered some of this, so I want to go through this and I'll get some of your reactions. Um, and and again, we've already, again, we've already covered some of this. So ask what you want out of your your care model and um, your virtual in your virtual care model. So specifically, you know, do you want to attract customers, expand your reach, reduce your cost, enhance access? And you said this at the top of the show. What do you want out of it? What's your strategy? So um, you know, I think this so that one's pretty much spot on. The second one here is, it's the care model that matters. And again, we've, we've touched on that one already. Um, virtual care will suffuse every element of care, and I completely agree with that. And I think that was even one of the points that you had brought up is, you know, this is going to affect every component of your care model, whether you, your care delivery model, whether you realize it or not today, you've got to make sure, you know, that you're planning, planning for it um, you, into your care design, proper change management. So what are some of your thoughts there?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you're absolutely right. People, you know, will start and have started even changing the language that they use around this. So, mm-hmm. you know, instead of referring to, to virtual care as just a standalone service, you know, we, we don't refer to, you know, the medicine that you get in the ER versus, you know, your primary care doctor's office versus the specialist office or, you know, in an inpatient environment. The medical care is the medical care, right? We, we don't say that this is, well, this is, you know, uh, medical care that's only provided in the ED or only provided, you know, uh, on an in basis. And I think virtual care will, uh, will follow those same trends. We don't distinguish now, you know, if we have pneumonia, we don't talk about whether it was diagnosed in an urgent care or the ER or my primary care doctor's office. It's pneumonia. And I think virtual care will lend itself to those same things. We'll be able to do a lot of diagnostics, home health monitoring, uh, management of chronic disease, and it'll just be part of the overall continuum that is uh, healthcare, care. And I think it will help with cost, quality, and access. Um, but at the end of the day, you, know, you, you get to pick one or two of those at best. Uh, and you have to understand that you know, for your strategy to work, you've got to be focused on you know, what's the most important thing to you, what's the biggest problem you're trying to solve.
1: Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and you brought it up here a little bit, but, um, and just in closing here, we've about a minute left, but, you know, the virtual uh, patient assi- advocates, I think we've, uh, we've seen that or, or even patient assistants. Um, and then the use of the use of voice where Alexa, Siri, you know, the, the, the leaders today are Amazon, Google and Apple voice first, not voice only. I think that was a good best practice that came out. Um, yeah. but there's lots of opportunity there. Um, voice can lower the friction in the care process for everybody, not just the patient, but for everybody. Um, you know, virtual therapy assistance, and then uh, you, know, there's even, you know, Alexa can be um, uh, HIPAA compliant. Uh, you know, one of the partners there and one of the, the people inside the think tank had a HIPAA compliant Alexa setup up by de- because they can de-identify the user. So that's very, very cool to use voice as part of virtual care strategy.
0: And I, I totally agree. Reducing that friction is key to what we're trying to do and, and will drive
1: even more virtual care adoption. Yep. Now, thank you. And real quickly, in 10 seconds or less, I always ask this question of my guests. What is your favorite place to get or be inspired, Sylvan?
0: Uh-huh.
1: Good, good question.
0: Well, I grew up in Hawaii, so I always go back to the ocean. And any chance I get, uh, I love going to the ocean. I uh, love being able to look out at the water. It helps me sort of reset. Get inspired for the
1: next project uh, that I'm working on, and, and uh, I will I will always go back to my childhood in the ocean. Awesome! I uh, I didn't grow up on the ocean, not too far from it, and the ocean is uh, where I get most inspired as well. Um, so uh, thank you very much, Dr. Waller. I truly appreciate you joining the show today and taking the busy schedule to uh, to be with us. Um, and thank you to everyone. For listening and joining us today, please tune in weekdays at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific. As always, you can track me on Twitter at HITAdvisor and use the hashtag ThisJustin so you can respond to your comments from the show. In addition, all my content will be posted at JustinBarnes.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a terrific week.